Our gospel today is from Matthew chapter 21. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophets, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself. He left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. The word of our Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations in our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm curious when the last time it was that you traveled with people outside of your immediate family. Maybe this is something that you do quite frequently, or maybe it's something you haven't done for a really long time. I would guess if you've done it frequently that you have found people that are really good traveling companions for you. Like there are certain families or individuals who you know you have a similar agenda, you're going to agree on what you're going to do during your trip, or you just can communicate well enough to let that person or that family know when you need a little bit more space um, and time by yourselves. Well, our family doesn't frequently travel with other families, but we recently took a trip at the end of March, and we joined up with one of my friends from college and her family. This was um, the first time we've done a kind of dual spring break like this. And I remember coming home after Maureen and I had discussed it and telling my children, hey, we're going to travel with the Hartwigs over spring break. And they seemed less than thrilled. Really? Maureen has three boys, ages 5, 9, and 11. And my two girls weren't all that certain that this was a great idea. But for me, Maureen has been a fabulous traveling companion in my life. 
We actually met while we were traveling. We studied overseas in college in Paris, and we were roommates at the time, and we were literally living out of a suitcase. We had like this really bad dresser that we could not use at all. And so we got to know each other and became friends during this time. We traveled across Europe on spring break, and we took another trip back after we graduated. And so I knew that for me, Maureen was a good partner. She was good at planning things. We agreed on what we would like to do in various places. But adding our children and our husbands to the mix was going to make this trip a lot more interesting. We weren't quite sure how the dynamics would all together go. Well, I am convinced that I think Jesus was probably a, bit, a pretty bad traveling companion. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm pretty sure Jesus carried his share, fair share of the weight when he was moving from time to time, town to town. I'm sure that he um, helped out at meals and cleaning up or setting up camp if they actually did that. I'm not sure how it all worked with their travels. But more often than not, Jesus kind of had his own agenda going on. You might recall some of the stories in the Gospels where the disciples get together and they're settled in a town and they look at each other and they say, it's good that we should be here. Let's settle in. And then Jesus would return from wherever he had been off praying in the morning and he'd come and he'd greet them. And before they could say anything, Jesus would say, you know, we're going to go over here. And there really didn't seem to be any discussion. They just went. If Jesus said, we're going over here, they went over there, even if everybody else thought, let's remain here for a couple of days. Jesus also would be the one when they would have a good pace going and they'd have a steady direction where they knew where they were going and what they were up to, who would all of a sudden just like change the agenda. You know, I think we should travel across this lake and go to Gentile territory today. This seems like a good idea. Let's get in a boat. And before you knew it, that's exactly what the disciples were doing. They would get in the boat. They'd cross to the other side. I think they grumbled a little bit. Are you sure we should really go into this new territory? But nevertheless, they followed. The third reason I think Jesus was probably a somewhat difficult traveling companion was because he would always bring up controversial subjects in front of other people. Maybe you have friends like this when you're out at restaurants or in public and they start bringing up politics and really loudly and you're thinking, Shh, could you just settle down a little bit? I mean, Jesus did a lot of that. You know what God is like. Let me tell you. He's like a vineyard, or, a vineyard owner who hires people at different times and he pays them all the same and he says everyone should be equal. Yeah, what do you guys think of that? And I imagine the disciples, while they were trying to comprehend the stories, they're like, you know, could you just be a little quieter? Do we always have to bring up these subjects in front of everyone else? So it is for those reasons I think Jesus was a difficult traveling companion. And yet, remarkably, the disciples never pack up their bags and go home. They stick with him. And I think the reason that the disciples decide to stick with Jesus is because, unlike any other traveling companion they have had before in life, Jesus brings them into new situations, introduces them to people they might never otherwise encounter. And when they're with Jesus, it seems as if the world gets bigger and brighter. 
At times he brings them into places of scarcity that seem barren and unwelcoming. And with God's blessing and Jesus' willingness to allow the kingdom to shine through, suddenly there is generosity and abundance. Miracles happen when they are in the midst of Jesus. And before long, I'm pretty convinced that the disciples are willing to travel with this somewhat difficult traveling companion because they recognize when they do that the beauty of God's kingdom becomes all the more evident and they just want to see more of it. My trip with my friend and her family actually went quite well. My daughters were in the first service. They kind of nodded their heads, like, somewhat begrudgingly, just because that's how they have to act. Um, But we went to Zion National Park in Utah, and then we actually had good amounts of space where we were together and then apart. So our family traveled on to Bryce Canyon, and then we met up with Maureen and her family again in the Grand Canyon. And the nice thing about it was we had this time where we could kind of set our hikes or what we wanted to do, and most of us all agreed on it. So the last day, we decided that we were going to hike down into the Grand Canyon. And Maureen and I plotted our path, and we had two kind of designated stopping spots where we could assess how things were going. Neither of us have ever hiked into a canyon before, so we weren't quite sure how the family would do. We woke up early, and we packed our bags and our lunches, and we set out. And the trip down, of course, if any of you have done Grand Canyon hiking, is pretty easy. I mean, you're walking downhill. The switchbacks, like the kids were skipping and running at times. And every time we turned a corner, there was another magnificent view. So we're like, oh, this is awesome. Keep going. And we weren't sweating at all. But we kept walking past people who were headed uphill, and they did not look as happy as we did. They were slowly trudging along, and they were sweating, and they looked tired and ragged, and they were a good warning sign for us. When we reached our first destination, we sat down and assessed how we all felt. Um, They tell you on these warning signs that, indeed, there will not be more water, so you better have enough with you. And they also tell you, don't attempt to go too deep because they do indeed have to rescue too many people each year, so be warned. So we looked at how things were going, and Maureen and her family were actually struggling. Her oldest son had like heat stroke or altitude sickness and wasn't feeling well, and their water was depleted. And so they decided they needed to turn around. Our family felt pretty good. So we made the decision to keep going. I know you should laugh, Jim. (laughs) And once we made that decision and said goodbye, um, with each step I took further down into the canyon, I got more and more worried. Was this the right decision? Did we have enough water? Were we going to regret it? How hot was it going to get? How hard was the hike up going to be? I just didn't know. But we kept going, anticipating what was ahead with the reality of the climb up above. This week is Palm Sunday. And we begin this week and we enter into Holy Week, the final leg of Jesus' journey with his disciples and with all of us on earth. It will be the most difficult part of his travels so far. And it's not difficult because the terrain is rocky or steep. It will be difficult 
because the road is unforgiving and the itinerary is uncertain. What begins as a week that has shouts of alleluia or hosanna and a celebration of sorts quickly turns directions. It doesn't take long before people are angry. Jesus comes and he walks in order to turn over things in people's lives. And he does so in such a way that indeed upsets people. And yet he keeps walking in the direction that he knows God has called him to walk. His disciples have pledged to follow him the whole journey through. But there will be moments where they want to turn away, where they do turn away. But regardless, Jesus will keep going until he reaches his final destination. Our family hit our final destination not that long after we departed from my friend. The point where we had decided to stop was called Skeleton Point. I think it was a warning. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't have gone there. It was beautiful. It overlooked just the bluffs, and we could see the canyon surrounding us. We could see this tiny, itty-bitty portion of the Colorado River. It was very brown and murky looking. So it wasn't quite what the people had told us to expect. And we ate our lunch looking out at this gorgeous scenery. And then we packed up our bags, and we started our uphill climb. It was tough. It did not take long before we were all kind of wanting a break, and each of us slowly would say, hey, do you think we could stop now? And my water bottle was quickly decreasing, and I was so thirsty. And Lily would say, mom, I just want some more water. And I was like, I don't think you can drink yet. We have a long way to go, which made it all the more like anxiety-producing. But we set goals as a family. Let's see if we can make it here. Maybe we can make it to this point in an hour. And when we would stop, we'd set a timer so we only stopped for about five minutes. We actually climbed out faster than we climbed down. Isn't that remarkable? But I will tell you, it was a hard climb. I was so thankful for the people who journeyed with me. Jeff shared his water with me, and so did Helena. Thanks be to God. <laughs> And we encouraged each other along the way. And when we finally made it back up to the top, we looked around and were thankful that we had gone down as far as we had and for all we had accomplished. It had been a glorious day. Yes, easy at times and more difficult at others, but well worth the trip. Sometimes the path that is ahead of us is hard. It might be because we chose to walk the difficult path, and other times, we are forced to walk a hard path in life and in faith because life happens and it is uncertain, and that is the road we are on. This week, we are invited to walk with Jesus as he travels to the cross. It will be a hard road. There is darkness, there is pain, there is despair. But Jesus invites us to see and travel into the depths of humanity and face our own vulnerabilities. We will be fed along the way, bread and wine and forgiveness. And there might be times where we want to turn away or turn back. But Jesus keeps walking. 
And with each step he takes forward, he steps forward in love for you, proclaiming to you that God is there on all paths, in all travels, and that there is no place that God won't go for you. In the end, what we learn is that indeed Jesus is the best traveling companion of them all because he is the most consistent and persistent, and he will never leave you, no matter where you have to travel to. Amen.